And if you look at what oxygen does in the body, right? I mean, the difference, for example, um, between anger and the emotion of anger and the emotion of passion, you know what the difference is? One neurotransmitter and the presence of oxygen. There is not a single elevated emotional state, not one, that does not require the presence of oxygen as a component of its structure. So if you actually looked at the molecule of happiness, the molecule of passion, the molecule of elation, of joy, of arousal, you would see that oxygen is actually in that structure. It's not in the structure of anger. That's fascinating. Right? This is why no human being has ever woken up laughing. No human being will ever wake up laughing. You don't have the oxidative state to experience laughter. Hey, this is Chad Namiro. And I'm Kelly Namiro. Welcome to the Balancing Chaos Podcast. A lifestyle podcast where we will interview guests about wellness, business, and just about everything in between. Our goal is to help you develop a lifestyle that promotes health, wholeness, and success. Through our conversations, we hope to inspire you to live a beautiful, full, and joyful life as you navigate balancing the chaos. We hope you enjoy. Gary Brecka is a professional human biologist and entrepreneur who founded 10X Health. He specializes in human biology and, of course, blood and genetic biomarkers. Gary sits on the board of the NFL Alumni Association as a health services director and is the authority on human optimization. With more than 20 years of biohacking and functional medicine experience, he is obsessed with the function and performance of the human body and finding innovative ways to help people achieve absolute peak function in their own bodies. His mission is to uncover the safest and fastest ways to optimize your mind, body, and spirit through modern science, my kind of guy. <laughs> Gary has worked with everyone from CEOs to professional athletes in the UFC, NFL, professional boxing, entertainment industries, and now lives to bring all of us science-based, research-backed tools to live our best lives. Gary, welcome to the show. Oh, my God. That was a great introduction. I want you to give my eulogy, <laughs> for sure. That was. Did we miss anything? <laughs> we got it all. You covered everything. I mean, um. Thank you for being with us. We've seen you a lot in the last few weeks, and we really appreciate your time. We know how busy you are. Of course. Thank you so much. Yeah, we, uh, we've spent uh, several hours with you the past couple of weeks, and it's just been fascinating. And one of the best realizations that I've had from talking to you is that humans aren't that sick. No. Right? And we don't need all these drugs to make our bodies work. And so we'll, we'll get into that later. But I love your story of how it all began and how you developed a passion for this field. So why don't you take us back and, and tell us a little bit about uh, the early stages of your career, if you don't mind. Well, it's interesting. Every time I talk about what I used to do, people gravitate and become more interested in that than what I do now very quickly because <laughs> it's a good story. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting story. So I was a mortality expert um, in the insurance industry. And essentially what we could do is if we got about five years of medical records on you and five years of demographic data, we could tell the insurance company how long you had to live to the month. And, you know, that's easy if you're 82 years old and terminally ill. Um, but what if you're uh, 28 years old and perfectly healthy? or you're a 30-year-old male or female, um, you have relatively perfect blood work, no pathology, no disease, you're not on any pharmaceuticals, how do you know how many more months that person has left on Earth? And that science, which has, has progressed tremendously, uh, was essentially able to zero in on mortality by looking at how well or how poorly the body manages oxygen. 
you know, I have a saying, I say it every time I speak, every time I'm on a podcast, every time I'm in front of a live audience, I say it as often as I can, because I think it's the most prolific statement that you will ever hear for the balance of your adult lifetime in terms of how many more years you have left on earth, how many more healthy years you have left on this planet. Um, it will determine your waking energy, the depth of your delta wave of sleep, your response to exercise, your cognitive function. Um, and it will even determine uh, your emotional state and your mood. And that is that the presence of oxygen is the absence of disease. And nothing can be more true than that statement. You see, we are either managing oxygen well in our body, and therefore we are very disease-free and we are gonna live a long, happy, healthy life, or we're managing oxygen very poorly, in which case we are not only accelerating towards the grave, but we are accelerating, we are bringing closer to us the onset of pathology and disease and the severity of that disease. Right. So that's kind of my background. So tell us how you went from that, doing that with insurance, mm -hmm. and to what you've created today, which is incredible. Well, you know, the sad thing about that industry was, even though I was able to look at medical records, and I'm not a licensed physician, I'm a human biologist, so I'm not licensed to practice medicine. Uh, so rightfully, they kept people like myself from getting involved in people's medical decisions. And what basically would happen was I would read medical records, you know, six days a week, eight hours a day. And even if I saw a life-threatening drug interaction or something that was clearly misdiagnosed, I couldn't have any communication with the patient or even the treating physician. Oh. All I could do was just watch it progress. That's painful. And it became glaringly more apparent to me as this career went on that the three biggest impacts on how long people have left on this earth and how healthy and how happy and how long they're going to live and how many healthy years they have left and, and how soon they will succumb to uh, disease um, and basically their quality of life were what we called modifiable risk factors. Meaning if I would just been able to talk to that person, I could have on average added seven years to their life, but more importantly, could have um, just made some slight modifications to how they eat or the supplements that they're taking or the lifestyle that would have not only increased their lifespan and health span, but just would have added tremendously to their quality of life. And I eventually got to the point where I couldn't separate myself from the fact that there were human beings on the other side yeah. of the spreadsheets. You know, for years I just looked at it as data and then I realized this is These are people. not really just data. It's people. Yeah, you can't help right now. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah you. I, I really felt like I was sitting behind a thick glass wall just watching blind people walk into traffic. And I, you know the answer. Yeah, yeah. And I knew the answer. And I just wanted to, like, I li really am getting, I don't know if we're videoing this, yeah. but I have goosebumps <laughs> all over my arms from it. I think that's why you get the goosebumps, though. It's like you, you're making you know, like what was a mess, like into your message. And that's why you're so popular in every, like everywhere you go and you treat all of these people who are so incredible because you're like, I know what's on the other side. I know how horrible it can be. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to scream this from the rooftops. And I try as much as I can. I mean, yeah. I travel incessantly. I speak incessantly. I write incessantly. I'm on Instagram and social media. Yeah. I'll take to any platform that I can because I want the message to get out. And you're so, I mean, you can feel it in your energy from the moment we met you. And I'll tell a little story. So we met Gary through <laughs> Dana White. Gary really transformed Dana's health, like in a matter of weeks. And so I was immediately fascinated with everything that you did being that I'm in the wellness space. So can you tell us, Dana has given us full permission. So we'll, right, we'll he did. He that. gave me permission before coming on here too, to um, tell the whole story. Can you tell us about how you transformed his health? Um, so the, the Dana White transition was really very interesting because 
um, we were introduced by a mutual friend named Carrie Kasem. Okay. And she was talking to Dana before she made the introduction and said, hey, listen, this guy can change your life and he can make you feel better and he can make you healthier and you'll be able to lose weight and, and he may even be able to save your life. Um, she, you know, she felt like he wasn't the healthiest person yeah. on earth. And Dana White was like, yeah, you know, I've, I've got, uh, you know, I got doctors hanging on trees and I've got three full-time docs I'm working with right now. I've got access to the most, you know, yeah, the best health care that money can buy. Um, you know, I, I'm not really what interested in this kind of voodoo nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> and, and probably were his exact words. Cause if you know, Dana White, he's, yeah. he's, ra he's rather direct. And, um, and she said, but you know, he used to actually be a mortality expert and he could predict your death to the month. Wait, did you predict his death based on his first labs? Did he let you do I, that? I did. I won't say. I won't. I won't say it. It's. I've only done it one time in my entire God, career say, and shared it with a patient. Yeah. But Dana said, "Listen, you know, I'm a sicko. I want to know exactly how many more months I have left on earth." And I go, "Man, I just don't know ethically if this is the right thing to do." Um, but I did, and the good news is it more than tripled when we were done with this treatment. But um, uh, he said, "Wait a second. This guy can predict my." mortality to the month yeah. okay well now i'm interested like now you got me and so the day that i went to see him initially with our clinical team um he actually was feeling horrible um he was so congested he was wheezing he was visibly miserable his eyes were watering he was sniffly um i could tell that he wasn't feeling good at all he was very phlegmy and i said what if i uh, what if what if the clinical team and I could knock this out of you in the next 45 minutes? And he goes, yeah, sure, pal. Come over and knock this out of me in the next 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, the nurses and, and, and the doc and I rolled in there with a seven-foot-tall bag of 95% uh, oxygen and a very special vitamin cocktail. And we started an IV, and we had him breathe oxygen for about 10 minutes, 95% O2. And when the IV was done, which took about 35 minutes, he literally stood up and looked at me and he goes, dude, is it possible that I feel perfectly fine? Is it possible that he's like, I can breathe. He's like, I feel freaking amazing. And I said, well, to get your life expectancy, I got to have the clinical team draw your blood and I have to do a genetic test. Yeah. I've got to look at five actionable genes in your body and I have to, and we have to look at 64 biomarkers in your blood. Yeah. If I can get these 64 biomarkers and these five genes to the clinical team and have, you know, our lead physician look at these, um, we will turn you into a super superhero. Yeah. And he's like, okay, well, I don't really care about that. You know, I've got a, I got a team of doctors. I want you to tell me how long I have to live. So I said, okay. <laughs> so we got the blood, we got the gene test. Um, and a few days later, his assistant, uh, Nicole, uh, called me and said, Hey, can, can we get on the phone, um, with Dana today and go through his blood work and his genetic test? And I said, um, I'm already booking a flight, the first flight out tomorrow morning. Um, to come out and see Dana. This is going to have to happen in person. And she goes, oh, whoa. It's like that? And I said, yeah, it's like, it's it's like that. Um, well, you know, in, in seven years, we got five life-threatening alert calls from the lab um, where they run the blood through the night, and they actually uh, called in the middle of the night and said, hey, we have a patient, last name White. Um, there's a level in his blood that we considered to be life-threatening. We just wanted the clinical team to know. And uh, so I booked a flight for the next morning, um, and and we flew out to, to see Dana, and we sat down with Dana. And I know he thought that I was only there to do his life expectancy, but I started walking him through 
the clinical team summary of his blood labs and walking him through their summary of his genetics. And I didn't tell him what was in the labs. I started telling him how he felt. Yeah. And I said, Dana, um, I can see that you can't sleep through the night. Um, I can see that you're actually waking up coughing and choking from borderline suffocating through the night. And I said, I'd be very surprised um, if it's not painful for you to bend down and tie your shoes right now. And he went, no fucking way. He slammed the table down. He's like, you got to be kidding me. You're starting to freak me out. And I said, um, I bet you go to bed exhausted. Um, but you, when you fall asleep, you wake up just gagging like you just can't get enough um, air. And I bet you're sore and achy throughout the entire day like you had a hard workout the night before when you haven't. And the brain fog has got to be crushing right now. Yeah. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, it's not just that you get a good idea in the bedroom, walk to the kitchen and wonder what the hell you're doing in the kitchen. Yeah. It's like you're not really remembering things from one hour to the next. Yeah. And during our meeting, he fell asleep on me in a 60-minute period probably four times in the single meeting. Wow. And I said, these intermittent narcoleptic episodes that you're having, you know, it's just very likely related to your blood oxygen. Mm. And when we passed the labs over to the clinical team and they found all of these things, um, he said, listen, man, I'm, you know, I'm falling asleep in meetings. I, I can't even tie my shoes. It's too painful to bend down and tie my shoes. Um, I'm exhausted when I work out. I'm exhausted all, all day. My short-term memory is shot. I've got brain fog. I'm sore and achy all over the place. And he goes, can you fix it? <laughs> and I said, I said, I really, I, I can. Um, and he goes, why the well, I'll use his words. Why the f did my, uh, you know, did my these doctors? I've got three full time doctors. I can afford the best medical care. Why didn't they tell me about this? And I said, well, I don't know, but you have hypertriglyceridemia. Your triglycerides are at a life threatening level. You have hypercholesterolemia. Your cholesterol is at a very risky high level. You have hyperinsulinemia. Your insulin is so high, your body can't metabolize fat. Your insulin is is through the roof. You're you're actually pre diabetic, which you didn't know. Yeah. Um, and then I looked at his homocysteine, yeah. um, brought that to the clinical team. I mean, the homocysteine level was, is, a, is a marker of inflammation. It yeah. was one of the highest levels we had ever seen. And so what was going wrong with his body was a, just a lack of raw material, right. right? He was on all kinds of poisons. He was on all kinds of beta blockers or calcium channel blockers, diuretics, thyroid medications, all kinds of synthetics and compounds and poisons. But no one was addressing the nutrient deficiencies in his body, yeah. clinical deficiency in vitamin D3, clinical deficiencies in the big complex of vitamins, no light metals to speak of, no B12s, magnesiums, zincs, the basics of what humans need to function. Yeah. The blood was very acidic. So I said, listen, we need to get you on something called a superhuman protocol, which is going to use magnetism, oxygen, and light to restore everything that you're missing from mother nature. I'm gonna use magnetism to alkalize you. We're gonna use oxygen to flood your bloodstream with oxygen. We're gonna use light to drive oxygen into your mitochondria and give your body back the energy it yeah. needs to function optimally. So let me ask you a follow-up question from all of this because I think that something you posted yesterday was really fascinating and it was about people like accepting feeling crappy as mm -hmm. they're normal. And I think that that's so often what I see in the people that I work with. And I think that probably is what Dana was feeling for a while. Right? No doubt. Like, he, had, he had accepted such an erosion of his baseline sense yeah. of normalcy. He just accepted it. It's like, oh, I'm just getting old or, you know, I'm just heavy or I'm stressed out or I'm working too much. So can you tell us yeah. 
how much of the population, because from the research that I've seen, I think it's like 80 something percent are mm -hmm. insulin resistant, pre-diabetic. Mm -hmm. Yes. And like how many people you see that are like dealing with triglycerides and high cholesterol, like what, what percentage of the population is that? Well, I mean, 570 million people on the surface of the earth are, are diabetic. Um, and you know, when we think about the amount of you know, refined carbohydrates in our diet and the paucity of understanding of what diabetes really leads to, it's not even the full-blown diabetes that is the major issue. It's mm -hmm. the elevated insulin over time. Mm -hmm. If you look at what happened to Dana, he had hyperinsulinemia, right? So his insulin rose, mm -hmm. right? And remember, the primary role of insulin is not to lower blood sugar. The primary role of insulin is to block any other form of energy use in the body. So in Dana's case, when his insulin spiked, his body couldn't burn fat. Mm -hmm. So where's the first place fat builds up? In the blood. And if it builds up to a level uh, where his did, the blood is actually almost solid at room temperature. So when you take the blood out of the body, it coagulates. Yeah. I mean, it looks like candle Hard. wax. I mean, this is very risky. Part of the reason why he couldn't tie his shoes, um, which is hard for people to talk about. And until I brought it up to him, he had not even spoken publicly about it to anyone. Right. And I think that's what really freaked him out. Cause he's like, there's no way you could know that. Cause I haven't told that to anybody. Well, that's what I felt like when you were reading my lab results, I was like, this guy's like psychic. He knows. People tell me that all the time. They're like, you're reading my tea leaves. Like, you know, Absolutely. who told you to say that about me? Um, because it's it's almost like I'm I'm reading your tarot cards, right? Because the yeah. labs tell a very specific story. The reason why I really love the blood work and, and the genetic testing is that, you know, there's not a single compound that's known to mankind, not one, that we put into the human body that's used in the format that we put it in. Everything that enters our body has to be refined into the usable form. Mm. Okay, this process is called methylation. Mm. When methylation is broken, your body is deficient. Right? If you can't convert a raw material, folic acid, into an active material, methylfolate, you have a deficiency in that active material. Mm -hmm. So what happens when I start to deplete methylfolate from the body? I affect all kinds of things, mood, emotional state, stability in thinking. My mind gets very, very active. We call this ADD or ADHD, OCD, gut issues. My, my gut doesn't have the right nutrients to move at the proper speed. So I hate to keep bringing everything back to Dana White, but there were so many of these issues that were going wrong in his body that were simple lack of raw material. Mm -hmm. Do you know in 10 weeks, he not only lost 33 pounds, but his blood fat fell almost 100 points a week for seven straight weeks. Would you attribute that to proper methylation? No question. Turning methylation on, I put him on what we call a prescription ketogenic diet, mm -hmm. um, which is, I don't think the whole world needs to be on a keto diet. Don't get me wrong. But when you have high, high triglycerides like that. And um, high insulin, right? And high insulin, you need to drive those things down. And so in his case, I, he said, what's a prescription ketogenic diet? I said, that's a diet that you marry. You're not going to date this diet. You have zero leeway. There are yeah. no cheat days. There's zero leeway. He went in and filmed 10 fucking Fridays on one day, was sick as a dog. Because um, I said, for the next 10 weeks, we can't do that, right? There's no cheat days. I'm yeah. going to put you on a prescription ketogenic diet. The clinical team is going to put together a specific protocol for your to supplement for the deficiencies in your blood and your genetics. And I'm telling you, 10 weeks later, he didn't recognize himself. Cholesterol normalized, insulin, the lowest level it had been in 10 years, um, gone from being borderline diabetic to pre-diabetic, 
to normal blood sugar, triglycerides down almost 400 points, wow. insulin down 25 or 30 points, cholesterol normalized, homocysteine normalized, and everybody's telling them, oh my God, you look great, you, your, your memory is back, like your energy is back, you're not falling asleep in meetings, like you, you know, you're getting jacked. But the truth is, it was what was going on on the inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the big difference. Like to me, that's where the real change happens. I think our listeners are going to be really fascinated by this. And I don't know how much you're able to talk about it. But can you tell us what else besides the prescription keto diet was in the superhuman protocol? Yes. I mean, okay. the, so the superhuman protocol basically used th uses three modalities, mm -hmm. right? One is called a PEMF mat. Pulse electromagnetic field. You see, we've gotten just so far away from the basics of Mother Nature, right? Think about the last time you had bare feet touching soil, like touching the earth. Earthing. Earthing. Yeah. Yes, earthing, <laughs> grounding. <laughs> I told her mom today, I'm like, she's my science spirit animal. <laughs> like, um, I love people that are super into it. But the truth is, you know, human Most beings, we, we, we build up a charge, right? I mean, we get very acidic. Yeah. Um, and that is a charge, pH is a charge. It stands for potential hydrogen. Yeah. So if we want to discharge, we have to walk on the surface of the earth with bare feet. Yeah. Well, because we don't do that, we can use a yoga mat looking device. It's called a PMF mat. We can lay on this thing for 16 minutes a day. You can even put it in your bed so it goes off while you're sleeping. And it will alkalize all 32 trillion cells, causes all your red blood cells to separate, to be ready to receive healthy oxygen, calms the nervous system down. And so I had him doing There's this. actually studies that show that that lowers cortisol levels, isn't there? Oh, it lowers cortisol levels. It modulates the, you know, the immune system. There are all kinds. This is in my opinion. These are stu clinical studies. I'd be happy to give you the links. Um, it modulates the immune system. It causes tiny vascular vasodilation, you know, mm -hmm. microcapillary vasodilation. So your eyes, your liver, your lungs, your pancreas, your kidneys. Um, so you move from this mat. Mm -hmm to then breathing oxygen, 95% oxygen while exercising. It's important that we don't just sit at rest and breathe oxygen, 100% O2, that would be very bad for you. But 95% oxygen while you're exercising for 10 minutes will flood the bloodstream with oxygen. It'll raise something called your partial pressure. It will actually increase the amount of oxygen in your blood. Mm -hmm. And then you move to a red light therapy bed. And a red light now photobiomodulation mm -hmm. is the rage in sports recovery, it's the rage in anti-aging and longevity because we know that we can now isolate wavelengths from the sun that are safe. No UVA, no UVB. And we can surround the body with these wavelengths of light and we can improve collagen, elastin, fiber and production in the skin. We can recruit peptides, natural peptides into circulation, GHK, CU, a copper peptide. And we can drive oxygen right into the mitochondria. Mm -hmm. And my science spirit animal knows that if we get oxygen <laughs> into the mitochondria, that is the way that we live longer, healthier, happier, disease-free lives, right. right? So I know you're trained in the Wim Hof method, and we'll talk about some of those things, but like, what is going wrong? Why, as humans, are we not able to ingest enough oxygen just walking around? Are we breathing too shallow? Is it a combination of multiple things, I assume? But like, what's, what's going on there? Well, one of my favorite sayings... Um, that I say all the time is that aging is the aggressive pursuit of comfort, mm. right? The more aggressively we pursue comfort, the faster we age, right? We have got to stop telling grandma not to go outside. It's too hot, not to go outside. It's too cold just to lay down, just to relax, eat the comfort foods, eat at the first pang of hunger, right? Because the human body responds very well to stress. 
right? If you don't load a bone, it will not strengthen. If you don't actually tear a muscle, it will not grow. And if you don't challenge the immune system, it weakens, mm-hmm. right? So um, if we want to make the body more resilient, if you look at as we become more sedentary, we actually collapse. Posture collapses. Actually, it's shorter. We right. actually yeah. get shorter. We physically get shorter. And if you look at what oxygen does in the body, right? I mean, the difference, for example, um, between anger and the emotion of anger and the emotion of passion. You know what the difference is? One neurotransmitter and the presence of oxygen. There is not a single elevated emotional state, not one, that does not require the presence of oxygen as a component of its structure. So if you actually looked at the molecule of happiness, the molecule of passion, the molecule of elation, of joy, of arousal, you would see that oxygen is actually in that structure. It's not in the structure of anger. That's fascinating. Right? This is why no human being has ever woken up laughing. No human being will ever wake up laughing. You don't have the oxidative state to experience laughter. Right? But can you wake up angry? Yeah. You sure can. You know, if you want to do an experiment tonight, pinch her while she's dead asleep. (laughs) (laughs) You will prove my hypothesis, right? It won't go well for you, but at least we'll... Have I'm a scientific proof. Have ever woke up laughing? No, <laughs> no, no. You haven't. No. Um, and you won't, right? Because so so breathing raises our emotional state. Breathing raises our um, uh, our mood, right? And uh, you know, like I said, the presence of oxygen is the absence of disease. Yeah. Almost every disease pathway known to mankind begins in a hypoxic environment. All cancer begins in a hypoxic environment, right? So when we breathe, especially, you know, the the Wim Hof method, um, you know, your diaphragm is actually massaging your intestines. You're you're changing the oxygen tension in the tissue. You're driving oxygen to the brain. I mean, what what is the whole benefit of deep sleep? The oxygen transfer from the muscles to the primary organ systems like the brain and the heart the liver, and the lungs. Remember, unlike a muscle, the harder this muscle works, the more oxygen my body sends it, the more nutrients my body sends it, right? The more amino acids. But the harder my brain works, it doesn't get one ounce more oxygen, doesn't get one ounce more nutrients. So the brain gets the same food, whether it's in a dead sprint or whether it's chilling on the couch. That's crazy. So if we want to feed the brain, then we have to breathe. And then I can force oxygen to the brain, even though the brain is at rest. Right. Right. So it's, um, you know, breath work is the one thing that I never, ever, ever, ever miss. Like I will miss a flight to not miss a breath work session. That's amazing. Do you wake up? And I know that you told me to drink protein the first 30 minutes. Do you do breath work? Within mm-hmm. that period yourself? Yep. I wake up and the first thing I'll do, you know, move around, maybe get, get some black coffee. And then I do a minimum of three rounds of 30 breaths with a long breath hold in between. Yeah. Um, and that already starts the juices flowing. And then I'll try to get 30 grams of protein within that 30 minute period and then move into my exercise. Yeah. Hey fam, if you are listening here, then you may be someone who deals with chronic overwhelm, bloating, anxiety, and weight you can't lose, maybe hair loss or skin conditions. If one of those things rings true for you, the Wellness by Kelly Health and Hormones course is available to help you get to the root cause and solve the issue in a way that's sustainable and 
gives you your lifestyle with lasting results. No more diets or quick fixes, but real health and vitality for the long run. My course runs through everything from what labs to test for to what protocols to implement given what's off in your blood work. We cover a variety of hormonal imbalances and how to heal them, plus the mindset work that you'll have to do to change your habits. If you're ready for an environment where you can learn the tools and truly heal to feel your best, most aligned, light, confident version of you, then this course is for you. If you're feeling called to join the WBK Health and Hormones course, head to the link in the show notes to learn more where you'll get my membership included with your purchase. Let's zoom out here for a second because I think what you said was really fascinating and we kind of touched on this when we were off mic yesterday talking about how you're working with Joe Dispenza. You guys Mm -hmm. are doing work on like how you... And you'll explain this better than I can, but like basically emotions get stored in a certain area in the brain and you can keep reliving certain emotions. And I'm guessing that if you relive some of those more negative emotions like anger where there's no oxygen molecule, you're basically decreasing your lifespan. No question. Um, And I'm not technically working with Joe Dispenza. We're in a documentary. We're doing a documentary together, but um, he does his own work and it's phenomenal. Um, And he deserves the credit for that. But... MIT did a study um, where they proved uh, that the emotional center of the brain, which is called the amygdala, mm-hmm. where we experience every emotional state, right? If you're angry, you're angry in the amygdala. If you're elated, you're elated in the amygdala. Like if you're aroused, that, that emotional state is in the amygdala of the brain. Right. It's like two little egg, um, um, almonds yeah. uh, in the middle of the brain. The interesting thing about the amygdala is it, it, it is the sole gateway to the hippocampus. The hippocampus is where your memory is. And this might not sound like a big deal, but knowing that there's only one way to access our memory by going through the amygdala. And remember that memory is where we pull our conscience, right? The prefrontal cortex pulls from the hippocampus. Our conscience is our future. So... If we follow the science, the amygdala, which is where emotion is, is the only access, the only hallway to memory. And memory is what drives our conscience, and our conscience is our future. So the only way to access memory is through our current emotional state, right? So if you're angry, you are actually only capable of accessing memories that are tied to anger at that moment. Right. And I use the example with you guys that, you know, if you've ever had an argument with your spouse, you you can recall with incredible accuracy every time they made you feel that way. You know, you did this uh, last week at the barbecue. You know, you did when I was out (laughs) with my boys on Labor Day weekend. You know, you did this at our mother-in-law's house on September 21st, 2021. Right. You you that emotional state recalls that specific memory. So this means that our current emotional state determines what memory we access which determines our, what our conscience pulls from, which determines our future. And this means that our current emotional state determines our future. That uh, is a fact. How's that tied to cellular replication? Like cells are yeah. constantly expanding the body, and so if you're happier, jovial, in a better mood, mm-hmm. that promotes like... Well, that's what's so fascinating about Joe Dispenza's work, because he's putting the science behind the hypothesis that joy and happiness and meditation can actually impose a physiologic change on the body, right? A change in your state can actually change the electrical currency in your body. 
Right. Um, and there's a scientific term for this. So there are cells that when they're hit with a certain frequency will release an electric charge, right? And all human beings are is a giant ball of frequency. Energy. Right? We're a giant ball of energy. Like when we say um, women are more intuitive, right? That's not actually true. Women are more sensitive to energy, right? They're, they're, they're more sensitive to frequency, right? Generally than men are. So when we talk about frequency that leaves a person's body, right? And impacts another person's body. This is why sometimes you meet somebody and you go, mm, not so sure about that one, <laughs> right? And, or you, or you warn him like that guy's going to stab you in the back. I don't like right. him. I don't know what it is. I do tell you that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like we always say that about our dog. Very intuitive creatures. Like he's not. Oh, your dog beat up your mom today. By the way. Oh, is my sister's dog. Oh, your sister's dog. Oh, I thought it was your dog. Yeah, she goes over there. I went in. She was like, "The dog got me in the face." Um, (laughs) But um, uh, you know, so frequency is not only how cells communicate, but it's also how human beings communicate in nonverbal ways, right? right? Um, You know, there's an unbelievable study called the Spain scale of emotion where they isolate human frequencies and, and, and they determined that authenticity was the most powerful frequency to leave a human's body. Oh. It is the most attractive, not in a physical sense, but in, in the universal law of attraction sense that authenticity was the most attractive frequency, also the most powerful frequency to leave a human being's body. Mm. So I was a scientist for many, many years and I still am. And I never believed in the universal law of attraction. But I stumbled upon a law in physics one day called constructive interference. And if you don't believe in the universal law of attraction, go read this physics law because it's as valid as the law of gravity. What it says is that if two frequencies of equal wavelength meet, the size of the frequency doubles, which means you can get energy from conversation. It means that you can get energy from what I'm saying right now. Yeah. And you could either give me energy or take energy from me, right? Because destructive, you've been around sucky toxic buses. Toxic people, yeah. Yeah, toxic people, the sucky bus. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that might be a medical term. So once you understand that frequency can elevate you, give you energy or, or, or bring you down, um, then we talk about, well, what kinds of frequencies leave the human body? Well, emotional states are frequencies. Mm-hmm. If someone is authentic, in this study they found that authenticity only happens when two things um, are present. Number one, you believe what you're saying and your words are truthful. Both of those things have to be present for you to be authentic. Right. So if one of those things is not present, you can pick up on the change in vibration because people will use tone and animation to make up for validity or sincerity, right? Fascinating. So... If, I, if I'm going to tell you something that's not true, but I want you to believe it, I can increase my tone or my animation in an effort to try to impact you. But when you're sensitive to frequency, you go, yeah. I appreciate Bullshit. all the hand-waving and the loud gestures, but you're still lying. <laughs> <laughs> Since we're kind of on this wavelength, talk to us about depression. Because I grew up, as the world did, thinking perceivably that, oh, it's a chemical imbalance. Mm-hmm. You're born that way. There's really not much you can do. And here's these SSRs, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I was absolutely fascinated that you effectively describe it as at times treatable, you know, if given the proper nutrient supplementation, et cetera. And so obviously rampant. Yeah. And so 
You know, no that. question. When, you know, our, our clinical team has been able to over and over and over support people that are having depressive symptoms. Um, Dr. Sard is phenomenal at this. Uh, she's our clinic director. But if we look at the current definition of de depression, right, how do we define depression in this country? We define it as an inadequate supply of serotonin. That's the, that's the majority baseline definition of depression. So if depression is an inadequate supply of serotonin, then you would think that the fix would be to raise serotonin. Right. Right. But that's not what we do. We take people that are depressed and we put them on SSRIs, serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And what these do is they take what little serotonin that person has and they just ration it. So by definition, it doesn't raise serotonin. So by definition, it doesn't end depression. Right. And this is why a lot of people, people will come into numb. our clinic, they'll meet with one of our clinical team members and, and they'll say, I've been on antidepressants for 18 years. So common. And, uh, you know, the response is always, well, when did you think it was going to kick in? Right? I mean, if you've been on this, yeah. an antidepressant for 18 years and you're still depressed. Yeah. Well, if we understand that serotonin is made in the gut, in fact, most of our neurotransmitters are made in the gut. 90% of the serotonin in the body is in your, your gut. gut. You, if you don't have it here, you can't have it here. Right? So it travels up the vagus nerve to the brain and creates emotion. So if 90% if, if of our serotonin is here, then why are we looking for the fix here? Right? Why would we not try to turn the factory back on that makes serotonin? Serotonin is made from the amino acid tryptophan. We methylate it into the neurotransmitter serotonin. If methylation, this conversion, is broken, then you're deficient in serotonin and you're by definition depressed. Well, this is a conversion issue, mm -hmm. not an issue coming from your outside environment. The same is true with anxiety. If you know somebody that suffers from anxiety, ask them these three questions, and you can prove it is coming from their physiology, not their outside environment. Yeah. Right? Ask them, number one, have you had anxiety on and off throughout your entire lifetime? In almost every case, they will say yes. And then the second question you ask them is, um, can you point to the specific trigger that causes it? And most of the time they'll say no, right? Um, and then the third question is, if you've taken anti-anxiety drugs, have they worked? Yeah, and the majority of the time they'll say no. They make me feel like a zombie. This Just is, numb you out, These right? are literally yeah. like all the questions, you guys, that Gary asked me when I first met him. And I was like, wow. Like I, like I said, like he's reading my tea leaves. <laughs> like he's a right. psychic. He knows me. Like my when I took anti-anxiety meds, they didn't work. When I've had anxiety, it's been on and off my whole life. And so... There's a specific gene that you attributed that to in my lab work, and I'm open to talking about this. So Great. can you tell them what that is? Sure. It's called MTHFR. And how much right? of the population has MTHFR? 44% of the population has MTHFR. Um, and so um, it's – I'm not going to tell you what the nickname is for that gene. <laughs> no, not on the air. Um, but MTHFR is one of the most common gene mutations in the world. And based on your diet and your lifestyle, um, it can be very, very prevalent or it can be – you know, very submissive or, or non-symptomatic at all. Yeah. But interestingly, this is an inability to convert forms of folic acid mm -hmm. into methylfolate, the active form, right? So remember, folic acid actually is a man-made chemical. Um, folic acid doesn't occur anywhere naturally on the surface of the earth. We make it in the lab. Um, it is the most prevalent nutrient in the human diet because we spray our entire grain supply with folic acid. We spray all white bread, white rice, white pasta with folic acid. White flour contains folic acid if it's non-organic. We call this fortified or enriched. 
And a lot of the population, 44% of the population, depending on their diet, is taking in voluminous amounts of folic acid, and half of us can't even process it. So what's the problem? Explain what the problem is. Like if you have so much folic acid, but you can't convert it, what is that doing in your body? Well, two things are happening. The amount of folic acid is rising. Right. And the necessary, the, the, the raw material your body needs, methylfolate, is deficient. Yeah. And methylfolate is very early in the methylation cycle, right? It supplies a lot of other processes down the chain. And so if you deprive it, if you deprive the body of this raw material, it has a very difficult time making neurotransmitters. Neurotransmitters form the basis of all mood, all emotions. It has a very difficult time um, um, moving things. It's called peristaltic activity, moving things through the gut. So you get acid reflux, gas, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, irritability, cramping. And it seems to come out of nowhere because you can't tie it to a food that you ate. Mm -hmm. Most of us tie the issue we're having in our gut with what we last ate. We We don't think about... Um, maybe the motility, the speed of the conveyor belt is off. Yeah. Almost every client I see comes to me and is like, can we do an elimination diet? Yeah. And you're like, no. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I have people. So here's the problem with, with um, allergy testing for the most part, right? When they do an allergy test, they take your blood, the majority of these tests, and they wash it down a membrane. And then they wash the allergen down the other side. Yeah. And what they're looking at is how pissed off your blood gets how you know what's the inflammatory reaction across this membrane and we grade it from a one to a ten mm-hmm. so if it's a one it's mild if it's a five it's moderate if it's ten it's severe mm. but what they usually do not take into account is what if you're already in an inflamed state what if you're already at a six now I eat a little bit of soybean and it's only a one it shows up as a seven I eat some blueberries there are two it shows up as an eight right um, I eat some banana. It's a three. It shows up as a nine or an eight, right? So, um, so the point is that if you're already in this inflamed state, then hold, you get this myriad of foods you're supposedly allergic to. And then you can't right? eat anything. And then you can't. Not only can you not eat anything, but the issue is still going on because it's not related to what you're eating. It's related to this gene mutation, right? Because the body is missing a raw material that it needs to function normally. You see, my big belief is that modern pathology and disease and dysfunction as it exists today is not really happening to us. It's happening within us. Mm -hmm. And if we would put faith back in humanity, back in human beings, back in modern man and say, listen, the body's capacity to heal itself, to thrive, is is exponential. It's even unknown. Why don't we go into the human body and figure out what missing raw material is missing from this person's body? Put it back and watch what happens. Yeah. In the majority of cases, you watch that person thrive to a level they never thought possible. You know, Dana White is an example of that. Yeah. I didn't put anything, or sorry, the clinical team didn't put anything into his bloodstream that was not already there. We just changed the form and the amount. Right. And in 10 weeks, he couldn't recognize himself. And most of your listeners right now are walking around at about 65%. Of optimal health. Of optimal health. Yeah. Because they've accepted such an erosion of their baseline sense of normalcy. They do not know what their body's deficient in. If you've never tested for these five genes, you have no idea what your body can convert and what it can't. So I think that one thing that you brought up with Dana with respect to his, you know, lab work and everything was inflammation and we talk about homocysteine and then one thing that we talked about like with you know other labs that we've reviewed is uh, c-reactive protein 
I think that a word that gets thrown around a lot is inflammation. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between, can you tell our listeners, what's the difference between C-reactive protein and homocysteine and why they're both important? Yeah, so C-reactive protein is a nonspecific marker of inflammation. It's actually a protein that's made by the liver in response to inflammation somewhere in the body. So C-reactive protein won't tell you where the inflammation is coming from. C-reactive protein will tell you that your liver is upset because there's inflammation somewhere in the body and it's converting it into this CRP. Um, it can be indicative of heart disease at certain levels, you know, heart uh, uh, trouble at certain levels because the cardiac muscle, which only exists in the heart, um, when it's damaged, it, it causes the level of C-reactive protein to rise. But basically C-reactive protein is a non-specific marker of inflammation. Homocysteine is a natural amino acid in the body, right? But when homocysteine rises, it causes inflammation, right? And homocysteine, they say 85% of cardiovascular disease is linked to elevated homocysteine. And yet very often we don't look at homocysteine as a marker for longevity. If you lack the ability to bring down homocysteine, then homocysteine circulating around in your blood vessels. It's known to cause arteries to spasm and clamp, clamp down, which drives pressure up. It's known to irritate nerves. It's known to irritate arteries, veins, organs. If you have lots of inflammation circulating through the kidneys, the kidneys start to slow their filtration rate. You have lots of inflammation circulating through the liver, it gets inflamed and irritated and slows its filtration rate. So homocysteine is linked to all kinds of things, Um, indigestion, acid reflux, cardiovascular conditions. And yet this amino acid is very easy to reduce in the bloodstream. We use other amino acids and B vitamins to metabolize it to normal levels. I mean, right? So what's the what's the risk that it doesn't work? I took some B vitamins and some amino acids and it didn't work. Um, or that I took some vitamins and some amino acids and it reduced the most inflammatory compound in my body. Yeah. And my blood pressure normalized and my kidney filtration rate rose and the poison level in my blood dropped and my mental clarity came back and my anxiety was down by 85%. So you usually see, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know, this is not my specialty. You usually will see like these things linked together, like someone with high homocysteine also has high blood pressure, et cetera. Oh, no question. I mean, you show me somebody that suffered from anxiety on and off throughout their lifetime, I'll show you somebody who is currently suffering from gut issues, right? Yeah. And gut issues that they can't point to, right. right? They think it's diet, but it's not. And you ask them, oh, you're allergic to corn. Okay, well, can you ever eat corn and not have a reaction? They go, well, yeah, sometimes I can eat corn and not have a reaction. Okay, well, you're not allergic to corn, right? Because allergies are consistent. Mm-hmm. They're not transient. Mm-hmm. And the reason why they're, they're um, not transient is because if you're allergic to it, your body has a reaction every time. So we see these things linked. I mean, people, people with anxiety have a tendency to have gut issues. People with ADD and ADHD are night owls. Um, people that are night owls have a hard time going to sleep, not because their body's not tired. It's because their mind keeps them awake. Mm-hmm. Right, And all of these things are linked because the more active my mind is at rest, the more difficult it is for me to go to sleep. The more crowded my mind is, the less organized I am in the mind, the more I crave organization in my outside environment. This is where OCD comes from, right? If your mind is just ricocheting off the walls, your outside environment has to be orderly. Your closet, your car, your you sit down to do work and there's a we talked about this at yeah. your house. There's a sock curled up in the corner. You have to go pick that sock up and get it out of the room, right? right? Because you cannot stand clutter yeah. in your outside environment. 
That's me. Like if I leave something sitting somewhere, it's nuts. So it'll be interesting to see your genetic test. I've always had a very active mind at night. It's always kept me from falling asleep as as easy as her. Yeah, it's it's amazing, right? So your environment quiets and your mind wakes up. Yeah. I mean, this is why I feel like a lot of these conditions are mislabeled, right? An attention deficit disorder, um, or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, is is not an attention deficit disorder at all. It's an attention overload disorder. Right, it's too many windows open at the same time. Then why does that happen? Because of a gene mutation called COMT, very often, when this gene mutation is broken, then the, then the mind can't quiet. And we are creating thought faster than we are dismantling thought. Is there a study of how many people with like diagnosed ADHD have COMT? Um, there is a study of diagnosed ADHD and MTHFR. I'd have to look and see if there's a study particularly on COMP-T. Yeah. Um, but I rarely see what's called a homozygous uh, positive, meaning the gene mutation from both parents that has a COMT mutation that has or hasn't either been diagnosed with ADD or ADHD or doesn't suffer from those types of those symptoms. symptoms. Yeah. Fascinating. Right. Um, so last question that I have for you is the biggest thing that clients come to see me for. And so mm-hmm. I think that this will be really a popular, uh, question for the females in our audiences is sure. weight loss and they, they want to get experience weight loss. Mm. And I heard you talking about cold therapy on another podcast. Can you tell our listeners why cold therapy is helpful for weight loss? Yeah. I'll tell you specifically why it's helpful for weight loss. So Mom, think of what the definition is of a calorie, mm-hmm. right? So a calorie is actually a measure of heat, right. right? The definition of a calorie is the amount of energy that it takes to raise one cubic centimeter of water, one degree centigrade. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if a calorie is a measure of heat, then when heat is leaving our bodies, guess what else is leaving our bodies? Energy. Calories, calories, right? Heat leaving our body is actually calories leaving our body. If you actually read the story about Michael Phelps when he actually went to Beijing to compete in the Olympics. Thousands a day, right? His his caloric intake went to 10,000 calories a day. 10,000 calories a day. But why did it go to 10,000 calories a day? Not because his training regimen changed. Because the pool he was in was four degrees colder than the pool he was used to training in. Wow. Right? So water is 29 times more thermogenic than air meaning water removes heat at 29 times the rate of air. You can die in 72-degree water. You cannot die in 72-degree air, right? Your body can maintain that temperature gradient. There's plenty of stories. In fact, there's a movie being made about three gentlemen that passed away in the the NFL when their boat capsized in 74-degree water in in the Gulf. So when we get into cold water, four major things happen. Number one, our liver panics, and it floods the bloodstream with something called a cold shock protein. These are miracle proteins, and you have an endless supply of them every day. These proteins will scour the body of free radical oxidation. They will quadruple the rate of protein synthesis, muscle repair. The second thing that happens is you have a major peripheral vasospasm, right? So what does this do? It drives oxygen into the core. It forces oxygen into the brain. What other time of our life does this happen? Only in delta wave sleep. It mimics Delta deep sleep, which is why you feel so amazing. Try to be in a bad mood getting out of a cold plunge. Yeah. Right? You're in the best. They say if somebody's depressed, push them in cold water. <laughs> right? Um, so the third thing that happens is, um, you know, you have this 
this vasospasm, you, you drive oxygen into the core, but now heat is flooding out of your body. Right. There is nothing on the surface of the earth that will remove calories from your body or burn fat at the rate that getting in cold water will. There is no amount of hits cardio. There's no amount of intense exercise, weight training. Nothing even becomes remotely close to the amount of fatty acid metabolism, brown fat activation that you can get from getting in cold water. So That's cold usually water. where I get the women, by the way, yeah. to start cold bathing. Because they're like, all right, I like the you know peripheral vasospasm, then I'll sound science-y, but wait a second. You say I could lose weight? <laughs> I'm telling you. So cold like plunge rather than cryotherapy. Cold plunge rather than cryotherapy. Again, because... Water is 29 times more thermogenic than air. than air. So you can use 50 or 60 degree water, work your way down to 50. I don't think that you need to go below 50. The trick to cold plunging is to get the peak amount mm-hmm. of benefit and then get out and then do it daily. Um, three minutes minimum, six minutes maximum. Okay. Anything below 58 degrees, I would prefer 50 degrees. Yeah. But if you want the absolute sweet spot for cold plunging, 50 degrees, three minutes minimum, six minutes maximum, once a day, it will change your life yeah it will change your life so now that we're on the topic of women i actually have one more question i know you said that, that was my last one. and <laughs> i probably okay. have a million more so That's we're gonna okay. have to have you back on i would love to be back on um but we like, a lot of women come to me and they'll say i need i've been told you know i've, I've gone through menopause mm-hmm. i've been told i need to go on hormone replacement therapy mm-hmm. but something i've learned about recently through you and then through a couple of other hormone doctors is that there's things called peptides that are actually better for you than hormone replacement therapy. So can you tell us a little bit about peptides and what might be helpful if there is a woman who is looking to do hormone replacement therapy? So peptides are amino acids um, for the most part. These are amino acid chains. Um, When you put them into the body, they usually exert some kind of physiologic effect. They're either a secretagogue, meaning they'll cause an organ to secrete something like a growth hormone peptide. is not actually growth hormone. It's a 44-chain amino acid that actually stimulates the pituitary to secrete your own growth hormone. So very often what peptides do when you put them in the body is they mimic a natural physiologic process in the body, right? So there are healing peptides like BPC, Mm -hmm. body protection compound synthesized from gastric juice um, that can actually accelerate um, wound healing by recruiting your own platelets to the site of injury. There are peptides that Rewind the pituitary to a more youthful level of growth hormone secretion. There are mitochondrial peptides that increase fatty acid metabolism. And a lot of these have very sound human clinical studies. There are peptides to lengthen our telomeres. They're telomerase peptides. And we know now that telomeres are directly relinked to our biological age. So if we can improve um, telomerase activity, we can lengthen a telomere, which will back our age up biologically. Right? Can't change your chronological age, but your biological age. There are peptides that are anti-anxiolytics, meaning they're anti-anxiety. Right? They excite areas of the brain, endorphin areas of the brain, that block the anxiety response. And they're generally considered safe or safer than, than pharmaceuticals because they're amino acids. They're metabolites. Our body recognizes them. It can break them down and use, right? them. And use them. So if we're talking about... Um, Turning up the signal in the body, because as we spoke about right before the the recording came on, rarely in a human being as we age do our organs lose the ability to function. Mm -hmm. Very often what happens is we're turning the signal down. Mm -hmm. 
right? It's like when we listen to a set of speakers and we can't hear the music, we don't mess with the speakers. We go to the tuner, we turn the volume up, and the speaker plays louder. Mm -hmm. So this can happen in the human body, right? If we want to turn production of testosterone on, we actually increase the signal from the pituitary to the testicle. If we want to increase the production of growth hormone, we increase the signal from the hypothalamus to the pituitary to produce growth hormone. And so when we mimic natural biologic functions with things like amino acids and peptides, we can get phenomenal results in a, in a fairly safe safe way because basically what's happening is that because your body's producing it like let's say it's a woman with estrogen and progesterone the peptide is allowing her body to get it into her own natural balance rather than you might a doctor might give you too much estrogen not enough progesterone and then you end up in a bad spot and you're a crazy person right because most of the time if we take a blood test if i was to draw your blood right now Mm -hmm. i would get a snapshot of what your hormone levels are at this moment right right but they could be much different four days from now and 12 days from now and 21 days from now. Mm-hmm. And in hormone therapy, it's generally beginning to be accepted that it's not so much the level of the hormone. It is the ratio of hormones to one another. Right. right? Menopause, you still have a cycle. You just have a much lower amplitude cycle. So when we take a rifle shot approach and we take a snapshot of the blood, right, without doing something called a Dutch test. When we take a quick snapshot of the blood and I see, okay, her estrogen is here, progesterone is here. Okay, well, how do I know if the estrogen is high or low or the progesterone is high or low? You really don't. You have to look at the ratio ratio. of that hormone to other hormones. Same with cholesterol, right? Yeah, what makes women crazy is not hormonal levels. What makes women crazy, and I'm not picking on women, but is (laughs) men are crazy too. I Um, need to know this. Yeah. (laughs) I mean... You guys, everybody would be working for me if I'd really figured it out. So, <laughs> trust me. On, everybody's like, what makes women crazy? Um, is that on the podcast? <laughs> uh, for $5,000, subscribe to my uh, ebook. But no, so what, what really makes women crazy and, and, and causes the hot flashes and, and, and uh, mood issues is the ratio. Yeah. of hormones not the level of hormones when a woman gets pregnant her estrogen goes from in the 400s to in the 4000s and i've met some really happy pregnant women yeah. right so estrogen in at 4200 doesn't make you a nutball but estrogen at 100 depending on where progesterone is That's can throw your entire body out of whack yeah. by the way it's the same way with men yeah. right our estrogen and progesterone needs to be in a certain i'm talking about biological men our estrogen and progesterone needs to be in a specific ratio as that ratio gets out of balance right we're crying in children's movies yeah. right and we're emotional mess <laughs> right as joe rogan said we're, we're a little bitch <laughs> when, when do you if ever believe in introducing testosterone to the body so a lot of low t in america well, and the world well, scientifically, you know, if you look at the 2018 um, Journal of American Urology Clinical Guidelines for Testosterone Therapy, if you scroll down to Section 13, you'll see that they did a meta-analysis of all these different types of hormone therapy. And there is true testicular hypofunction, meaning your testicles are not producing enough testosterone. That needs to be replaced, right? I mean, according to the Journal of American Urology, Having low testosterone is a risk factor for cardiovascular disease. Um, Having low testosterone um, is not, or having normal levels of testosterone is not linked to prostate cancer. It's not linked 
to increase thrombolytic events, meaning blood clots. Um, a lot of the myths that you hear about hormone therapy are just that, they're myths. Yeah. We're talking about optimal levels of hormones, not supraphysiologic levels of hormones. So um, I'm a believer in the science behind replacing um, hormones in the body when the body can no longer produce them. But if we can turn the signal up to the organ that makes that hormone, well, it's much safer to be high on your own supply, right? Wouldn't you rather? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you rather raise your own internal level of growth hormone than take growth hormone from outside right. the body? Wouldn't you rather raise your own internal level of testosterone than take testosterone from outside the body? Um, I would think the answer is yes, yeah. right? So, in order to do that, we can use peptides and and other therapies to safely and naturally stimulate your body to do it on its own, right? Nobody has figured out a role that's better than what God figured out for right. the body, right? So biologically, and let's see if I can get this right, biologically, if your systems for a male among FSH and LH are highly elevated and testosterone is still low, that might be a marker that the body is not able. Right, so basically what you're saying is the tuner's on 10 and I still can't hear the music. Right. Now it's time to replace the speakers, Yeah. right? If the tuner's on one and I can't hear the music, it makes sense. It makes sense. I turn it to five. Oh, I can hear it. I turn it to 10 and now it's blaring, right? Yeah. So you're exactly right. LH and FSH are luteinizing follicle stimulating hormones with a volume knob. The testicles are the speakers. Fascinating. So, Gary, we are, like I said, going to have you back on. If we can leave our listeners with one small thing that they could do for their health today, mm -hmm. and I'm guessing it's going to have something to do with oxygen. <laughs> it is definitely going to have something to do with oxygen. What would you suggest that they do? Okay. For better longevity. I'm going to give you um, something that you should do every single day, um, and it will cost you zero, and you don't have to subscribe to my ebook. I don't even have an ebook. That was a joke, but <laughs> but you don't have to buy any fancy contraption online. If you want to buy a superhuman, you should, but. Um, you, two things that you should do every day is you should breathe and apply a thermal stress. And here's what I mean by breath work. I mean, you should do at least three rounds of 10 deep breaths, right? And I mean, obnoxiously deep, right? Pulling your belly out, lifting your chest up. I know the listeners can't see me right now, but I'm, I imagine that I have a cord tied to my belly button. I'm pulling my belly out and then lifting my chest up. So pulling oxygen into our lungs, 10 deep breaths. On the last exhale, hold your breath for about 30 seconds. Take a nice deep breath in, hold for 30 seconds and repeat that. If you get lightheaded, it's a good sign. If you get tingling and numbness, it's a good sign. Because when you change the oxygen tension in your tissues, you get lightheaded, right? So always do this lying down or sitting. So number one, never, ever, ever, for the balance of your lifetime, ever miss a day where you don't breathe, right? It's very easy. It takes the, the longest breath session I do is eight minutes, right? Um, and the second thing is to apply thermal stress. When you're done with your shower, turn the shower as cold as you can stand it and just deal with it. For how long? 30 seconds to start, work your way up to three minutes. Does this get easier? 
for it does get easier okay. as you get as a peripheral spasm and listen it's a lot worse for people in minnesota than it is for people in florida and texas <laughs> right, okay because right. their water only gets into the 70s right minnesota they're like hey bro you ever take a cold shower here <laughs> but i promise you just those two things right you haven't had to exercise you didn't pick up a weight you didn't go for a run and if you have the time apply a um uh of physical stress. And I much prefer weight-bearing exercise to cardiovascular exercise because weight-bearing exercise in every clinical study ever published that I've been able to find um, beats cardiovascular exercise hands down in terms of just if you have 20 minutes or 30 minutes a day and you have the choice of cardio or weights, do weights. Um, muscle is our metabolic muscle. currency. Yeah. You believe right. in heavier weights, lower reps? or the? I believe in heavier weights, controlled lower reps, like good, good form. You know, one of my issues with... Crossfit was like a lot of heavy weights and a lot of speed, yeah. right? There's no issue with heavy weight and no issue with speed. You just shouldn't combine those two. Yeah, promotes injury. Gary Recca, pimp yourself out. Where can our listeners find you? Oh, um, let me pimp myself out right now. <laughs> uh, I've never actually been asked to pimp myself out, but and we're in Las Vegas, so it's like super inappropriate. It's true. It's fitting. And we're by the strip. <laughs> and we are on the strip, so... Um, so maybe there's going to be a rush at the door out here. <laughs> uh, no, you can follow me at Gary Brecka, G-A-R-Y-B-R-E-C-K-A, um, or you can check out 10X Health System at 10X, the number 10, the letter X, healthsystem.com. Thank you for being We will put today. it in the show notes. Yeah. Awesome. Next episode, exosomes because we missed oh, it. Oh, I would so love to do exosomes. I'd love to do peptides. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. go. We're gonna go in deep. Like no intros needed. Next time, we're going full. All right, let's go full in. Thanks, Amazing. Gary. You're Thank very you. welcome, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks. We really hope that you enjoyed that episode. You can follow me on Instagram at Wellness by Kelly, and if you're new around here, you can sign up for the WBK seven day free trial, where you can get access to all of my low impact workouts blood sugar balancing, plant-based recipes, and guided meditations all available on wellnessbykelly.com and on the WBK app.